0: This morning in our class downstairs, uh, our multiply class, we were talking about the Bible. We do that. We talk about the Bible. That's what we do. But we were specifically talking about the importance of the Bible, the studying of God's word and how that's important to us and, and our motivations for studying God's word and how God has written his word that we might know him and that this is God's word. And, you know, I was just struck by how amazing this book is, this book that's available to us in all kinds of languages and translations. God's word, God has written something to us that we might know Him, that we might know what He requires of us, that we might know the mission he's called us to. Have you thought about the Bible? It's 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 one book, but it's sixty-six books. It's written by a number of authors, some some say 40, 44 authors from different kinds of backgrounds, kings and shepherds and priests and lawgivers, fishermen, Pharisees, written in three languages, written over a 1,500 year period, but what's really amazing about it and what testifies to me that it is the Word of God, is, is its unified nature. It's all telling the same story, one story. And really, that story is based around a theme that we're going to look at today in one verse. And this is the first time that that theme is expressed in Scripture. As we talked about last week, it's not the first time it existed. We have faith. Abel had faith. Enoch had faith. Noah had faith, and others had faith, but when it comes to Abraham and his faith, God specifically declares that Abraham's faith is credited to him as righteousness. That's really the unifying theme of scripture, and and we're going to look at that verse today, and we're going to look at it not just there in uh, Genesis 15, 6, but we're going to look at it as the authors of the New Testament used it, as Paul and, and James use it. So let, let's review. Let's, let's get up to speed. Some of you weren't here last week. Some of you are new. And so let's, let's get, paint a picture. Let's figure out where we are in Scripture. Last week in chapter 15, we saw Abraham and we saw his faith take a little dip. Again, it wasn't a nosedive. It was just a little dip. In chapter 14, his faith had soared. He, and faith, had defeated. He had went to war against these four kings from the east, really with no hope of victory except his faith in the Lord driving him. He had rescued his nephew Lot, and he had rescued many of the Canaanite people, the people in the land he was was in. He had then returned in victory to meet two kings in this valley, the king of Salem and the king of Sodom. And, and as we looked at that, they really represented two different choices that Abraham had to make. And in faith, he chose the king of Salem. He chose Melchizedek, the priest of the Most High God. In faith, Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth of his spoils. And in faith, he received a blessing from Melchizedek. And in faith, he rejected the king of Sodom's offer that offer to make him wealthier than he was, to really link himself with Sodom, Abraham rejected that, and Abraham is clearly at the end of fourteen he 's clearly trusting in God, but as chapter fifteen begins, we find something a little different. It seems like abraham 's trusting God in the big things in the able to go to war, but he's, his faith is waning it 's waning in relationship to the promises that God had made him. Do you remember what those promises were? Sorry. I'll, I'll tell you. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 3. That's where we started this, this thing. We're on week 9. We, this is week 1. We're going back. We're never going to get anywhere if we keep going back. But anyway, what's the hurry? That's what I say. So think about those promises, and we're going to review them real quick here, but what is the first thing that needs to happen for those promises to be fulfilled, for those promises to go forward? What's, what has to happen? Okay, he certainly has to go, but what, has to ha- what does God have to do? First thing that God has to do? Okay. Okay. Abraham knew that for these promises to be fulfilled, he must have a son, an heir. God had promised Abraham a land. But when he got there, the land was full of Canaanites. And God had said in verse 7 of that same chapter, chapter 12, to your offspring I will give the land. So for this promise of a land to be fulfilled, Abraham would have to have a an heir, a son, same thing. And tied to the land, God had promised that Abraham would would have a be a great nation. To be a great nation in the land, you need a people to build that nation. So, for the promise of the great nation to be, be fulfilled, Abraham needed a heir. God had promised that Abraham would have a great name, a great reputation among the peoples, and and he's beginning to achieve that, being the rescuer. Being the one that defeated those four kings from the east. But without a child, when Abraham died, his name would die with him. For that promise to go on, for that name to continue, Abraham would need an heir. And finally, really most importantly, God had promised that Abraham, through Abraham, all the families of the earth would be blessed. This blessing would come through the descendants of Abraham, particularly one descendant. Jesus Christ. So for the promise of blessing to the nations to be fulfilled... ...Abraham would have to have a son, an heir. So what do you think is occupying Abraham's thinking? In chapter 15, we see the answer. Verse 2. But Abraham said, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring... And a member of my household will be my heir. How does that work? What's going on here? God, I trusted you. I'm following you. I I did that first thing. I left the land. But all of your promises hinge on me having an heir. And I continue childless. Sarah is barren. You've given me no offspring. Abraham's faith in God's promises is being put to the test. This time, he's had some tests before. This time, the the test is the test of time. Maybe that's the hardest test of all. We're not a patient people. And as we saw last week, God graciously comes to Abraham in his fear and doubt. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, God came with reassurance. Fear not, Abraham. Abraham's afraid. I don't have an heir. What's going on here? I am your shield. Your reward shall be great in me. Or... I am your reward. And in verse 4 and 5, God came reiterating the promise. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man, Eleazar, shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and then number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. God came to Abraham in grace. He said, I I haven't forgotten my promise, Abraham. God knew that all the promises hinged on Abraham having an heir. And God makes it clear that Abraham's descendants would be innumerable. They would be innumerable as, he's already said, as the dust on the ground. Now he says, as the stars in the sky. Abraham's faith was put to the test of time. But when God came with reassurance... Repeating and, and really expanding on this promise, Abraham's faith seems to grow resolute. It is this moment of, of, of faith? And, and it doesn't say what he said. Scripture just makes the statement. What follows is Abraham's the statement of faith, verse six. And he, Abraham, believed the Lord, and he, God, counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham believed the Lord. Doubt and fear were gone, replaced by a a steady faith. And the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham, who had no righteousness, no different than you and I, had no righteousness in himself, was counted, was made. Righteousness was given to him by God. This being counted righteousness, as we talked about last week, is called righteousness justification he was justified he was he was right before god through faith abraham was declared righteous so in in chapter 15 verse 6 we have the first explicit teaching of the most important doctrine in all of scripture the doctrine of justification by grace for it was god's grace grace you can't earn it it's we don't understand it god in his nature as a loving god Gives us grace. Bestows upon us things we don't deserve. The doctrine of justification. We're justified by grace through faith. Abraham was justified. He was declared righteous right before God. Sins taken care of. And this justification didn't become, didn't come to Abraham because he worked for it. He earned it. Works of righteousness. It came by God's grace through faith. ...through Abraham's faith. Abraham lived out the very words of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul would write over a thousand years later. For by grace, you, Abraham, have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. Not as a result of works so that no one may boast. It doesn't say Abraham there. But we can apply it to Abraham. We can apply it to each one of us. We're saved by grace through faith. Salvation by grace through faith... The theme of the entire Bible. This is the major unifying theme. It it brings it all together. It's found for the first time in in Genesis 15, 6. And the writers of the New Testament understood the the importance of this verse. The importance of this concept. And the importance of reflecting on God of the Old Testament. Showing it's the same God in the New Testament. With the same method of bestowing grace. Grace. Upon his chosen ones. In fact, it's quoted three times. Genesis 15, 6 is quoted three times in the New Testament. Twice by the Apostle Paul and once by James. It's referred to in other places as well. The concepts, of course. But we're going to look at the three quotations this morning. Today I just want to look at these instances. I want to examine how Paul and James use Abraham use the faith of Abraham as an example of of New Testament, of of Christian belief, of Christian faith, of our faith. The first example, the first instance, is in Romans chapter 4. Abraham's faith in Romans 4. So if you want to turn in your Bibles there, I'll have the scriptures up there, but you might want to... I'm not going to read the whole chapter. But I'm going to read a, a good portion of it. Today... Uh, in, in Romans 4 and the, the other two passages and Galatians and James we'll look at. We're going to read a lot of scripture. And we're going to let, really, Paul comment. Paul and James preach to us about Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. I'm just going to assist, guide us along the way. This chapter, Romans chapter 4, our first instance here, is really a Paul's commentary on Genesis 15, 6. In Romans chapter 3, Paul's shown that, that no one, he's, he's clear, he's made it very clear. Read the, read the chapter, I'm not go, going to, but he's made it very clear that no one, no, no one is righteous in themselves. This is the main chapter we get this this doctrine, this idea of total depravity. We can't seek God on our own. We don't seek God on our own. God has to come. ...and do something within us. So Paul's made this point that we are all without righteousness. He then makes the case that righteousness comes not through works of the law... ...but by faith. And in chapter 4, Abraham becomes Paul's prime example. Listen to verse 1 of Romans chapter 4. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh... For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Here comes Genesis fifteen six. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul, by, by quoting this verse, makes it clear that Abraham did not work for his righteousness. He was counted. He was made. He was... It, righteousness was given to him by God because of his faith. Paul then gives an, another Old Testament example, and I want to look at that as well. That's the example of King David. This is a, a great example. Verse, go down to verse 6. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one whom God counts righteousness apart from works. So Paul's saying David speaks of this righteousness apart from works as well. David may be above all others understood that righteousness comes through faith, not by the, the works of the law, not by obedience to the law. Because David had specifically, do you know David? The man after God's own heart, on the one hand, and the man who had clearly outright broken three of God's major Ten Commandments. He'd coveted Bathsheba. Remember, he's on the roof. I mean, he's outside and he sees her on the roof, and he, he covets her. That's the Tenth Commandment, Gone. Then he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Bad news. Seventh commandment, gone. And then he had conspired to have Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, murdered. That's the sixth commandment, gone. The Old Testament law and sacrificial system made no provision for such great outright sin. Under the law, David's case was hopeless. But David knew that his father Abraham had been counted righteous because of faith. And in Romans chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, Paul quotes David's declaration in Psalm 32, 1 and 2. So you get this. So we're going to read Romans 4, 7 and 8, but it's a quotation that David made in Psalm 32, 1 and 2. It says this, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord does not count, does not reckon his sin. David speaks of God's forgiveness. God covering sin. God not counting sin. David in faith cast himself on the mercy of God. Make make a note in your notes there, your Bible. Read Psalm 51. We don't have time to go there. But it is David casting himself on the mercy of God. Or take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Create in me a clean heart, O God. David, read, read Psalm 51, as David casts himself on the mercy of God, not trying to justify his action, just throwing himself before God. David, like Abraham, his father, believed the Lord, trusted in God, and his faith was counted as righteousness. Paul then goes on in verses... Uh, 9 through 12 of Romans, to point out that Abraham was counted righteous, that's he's saved by faith, while he was uncircumcised. Now, why is that important? Genesis 15, 6, which we're at in our study of Abraham's life, when, Abraham, when it's stated that Abraham is declared righteous by God, occurs at least 14 years in, in time before Abraham was circumcised. Remember, circumcised is the sign. If you remember our study in Galatians, they were all worked up about circumcision, how important it was. Now, why does, the, why does he make this point? Why does, why does uh, what's his name? Paul, that's his name. Why does he make it clear that Abraham was declared righteous before he was circumcised? Listen to verse 11 of chapter 4. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised... ...so that righteousness would be counted to them all, them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised... ...so that not merely circumcision... ...but who also walks in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had... ...before he was circumcised. Get that? Abraham is the father of both the circumcised, the Jews and the uncircumcised, the Gentiles. He was not circumcised when he was declared righteous. He was not, in fact, technically a Jew when he was declared righteous. He was technically an uncircumcised Gentile. Paul's point, it's not circumcision or any other religious activity or ceremony or law-keeping that's saved. It's faith that's counted as righteousness. Paul makes that clear in the rest of the chapter. In verse 13, he says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Not the law, but faith. The law would not be given, so Abraham timeline again, the law with circumcision wasn't given for 14 years, the law wasn't given for 400 years. No law. So Abraham's righteousness had absolutely nothing to do with law keeping. Therefore, it's not and never has been keeping the law that makes anyone righteous. Paul concludes Romans 4 with with really a passionate description of, of Abraham's faith. In hope, verse 18, he believed against hope. Abraham's faith hoped even when there was no hope. What did he hope? rest of verse 18, that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He's hoping for this offspring. He's hoping for the fulfilled promise of God. He hoped to be the father of many nations. Why? He'd been told. God had promised it. And, verse 19, he didn't weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old. Now, this is projecting forward to when Isaac is born, or when when he considered barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith, and he gave glory to God. In the face of insurmountable odds, when everything in the natural world said it's impossible, his age, his wife's barrenness, Abraham did not weaken in faith. He didn't waver. In fact, he grew strong in faith. Now, it may seem that Paul is glossing over Abraham a little bit here after our study. Looking some, looking, uh, when we looked at Abraham, we see a little dip in his faith. At the beginning of chapter 15, we just read, it seems that Abraham's faith is waning. But just because you struggle, just because you have doubts, just because you have fears, doesn't mean that your faith is weak. In fact, it may mean. I think it does mean the very opposite. Because of Sarah's barrenness, because of their old age, it would have been natural for Abraham to totally lose faith, to say, God, what are you doing? I don't trust in you. But remember, he comes, Lord God, I don't understand what's going on here. I don't know why I haven't got a child yet, but but you're still Lord. You're still the God of heaven and earth. I still trust in you. It was only because of his faith that he stayed committed to God, that he was able to survive those times of fear and doubt. And when God came to him in love and grace and mercy and reiterated, restated those promises, Abraham's faith grew. He was, verse 21, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And Paul said, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Again, referring to Genesis 15.6, because he had this deep, abiding faith in the Lord, the wooden waver. Abraham emerged from fear and doubt with his faith intact. And that time-tested faith was then counted as righteousness. Then Paul goes on at the end of the chapter and applies this to the believer. He says this, and we need to take courage from this. But the words, it was counted to him... It was counted to him, it was counted, righteousness was counted to Abraham. He was given righteousness by God. We're not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Paul says, for those who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord, for those who believe in resurrection, for those who believe in Easter, the true meaning of Easter, not bunnies and eggs, but in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For those who trust in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for their sin, for their Righteousness for those who believe He was raised from the dead, for our justification. Genesis 15:6 applies to them, to us. He and, and you can put your name here, if you've trusted in the Lord Jesus. John, Jeff, Gloria, Charlie, believe the Lord, and He, the Lord, counted it to him as righteousness deep sigh of relief there, isn't it? Believe the Lord, trust in the Lord, and he counts it as You're not righteous, and we all know that. I know that about myself. I know that about some of you. We're not righteous in ourselves, but we're counted righteous only because we put our faith in Jesus Christ. If we believe in Jesus Christ, we're counted righteous. We're justified by God. We're able to have that relationship with God. Abraham is thrice, three times in Scripture, called a, a friend of God. We're able to be like Abraham, a friend of God, if we put our trust in his promises, in the promise of Jesus Christ. So well, that's Romans chapter 4. That's Paul's extended commentary on Genesis fifteen six, 6. And, and he mentions it again. Abraham's faith is spoken of again in Galatians chapter 3. If you want to turn in your Bible there to Galatians chapter 3. It wasn't too long ago that we were studying the book of Galatians, if you remember. you remember the context, what's the purpose? Why is Paul writing to the Galatians? The church in Galatia is being deceived. There are these deceivers, these teachers coming in. We called them Judaizers because they were were probably Jewish Christians who were focusing on the Judaism. They were saying that salvation comes not through faith alone. They weren't discounting faith in Christ. They weren't discounting the work of Christ. They were combining that salvation, that righteousness. Because it's when we're declared righteous that we're able to be saved. you understand that? It's when we're right before God that we can then be allowed into his presence that we can be saved that we can spend eternity with him. This righteousness only comes, they were teaching in Galatia, through faith and works, and works of the law. Specifically, they were teaching that righteousness only came to those who were circumcised, and beyond that, continued to obey the Jews. So you have to, on one hand, trust in Christ, and on the other hand, obey and follow the Jewish customs and laws. And in chapter 3, specifically verses 6 through 14, Paul turns to Abraham as evidence against this teaching. This is wrong teaching. This is heretical teaching. His purpose is to show that Abraham, whom the Jews said was their father, was saved not by the law, but by faith alone. He begins by quoting Genesis 15, 6, verse 6 of of Galatians chapter 3. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Paul's trying to make it clear that those who have faith are counted righteousness, righteous in the same way Abraham was counted righteous. It's not those who keep the law. It's not those who are circumcised. It's not those who follow the Jewish traditions and customs. ...who are declared righteous, it's those who have faith. And then in verse 8, Paul says something quite amazing. He quotes another Abrahamic passage, one we looked at earlier. Verse 8, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith... ...the issue in the Galatian church is the Gentile. What are we doing with the, the Gentiles? The Gentiles need to be Jews before they can follow Christ... And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, verse 9, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. In you shall all the nations be blessed, God had said to Abraham. This is what God had promised. This was the final, the ultimate promise of this Abrahamic covenant that we read in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. And Paul calls it the gospel beforehand. The good news is that all nations will be blessed and that blessing will come through Father Abraham. And those who believe the good news, those who are of faith, are blessed along with Abraham. Like Abraham, we are to be men and women of faith. Trusting in God. Giving our Lives to him. He then says in verse 11, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for, right, for the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous, see that, that tying in there? Faith is imputed, is given, is counted to us. We're, we're given faith, excuse me, we're given righteousness because of faith. And then we're to live by faith. Now faith in What? Maybe that's a question spinning in the, the back of your mind. Abraham, what did he have faith in? What are we to have faith in? Or put 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 simpler, simpler? Okay, I'm losing it here. Simpler. More simple? Help me out. Simply. Okay, I'm gonna take a nap. Abraham had faith in God. Put your faith in who? Abraham had faith in God. He believed that God would fulfill the promise that he had made. He believed that God would give him an heir, a child. Remember, that's the concern of his heart. God, you've given me no offspring. God says, I will give you an offspring. And Abraham believes. He believed that through one of his descendants, all the nations would be blessed. Abraham, looking forward in faith, believed the gospel in advance. It's amazing. And it was counted to him as righteousness. For us, however, the gospel has come. And the gospel is now. Abraham didn't know all the details that we know. He didn't know exactly how God would bless the nations or who God would bless the nations through. But we know. We've been given his name. And Paul describes that blessing in verses 13-14 through in Galatians 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith the blessing that is that is that is to come to the nations through Abraham is redemption salvation Through Jesus Christ. In you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Through you, Abraham, one will come to redeem humanity. And that one is the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel in advance. Genesis 12, 3. The gospel coming in fullness in the New Testament. By faith, Abraham was counted righteous. And by faith, you and I are counted righteous as well. But we need to be very clear about about one point before we move on to, to James. Faith. We've talked a lot about faith. Faith is important, but we don't worship faith, especially our own faith. It was not Abraham's faith, and it is not our faith that produces our righteousness. It's not a reward. Righteousness isn't a reward For your faith. Jesus Christ produced and purchased our righteousness. By being hanged on a tree, by dying on the cross, he redeemed us from the curse. He paid the penalty for Abraham's sins. He pays the penalty for our sins in order that we, by faith faith is this conduit, might trust in him and be counted righteous by God. It's, It's Christ in his death. Without Christ's death, our faith would be meaningless. There would be nothing to have f- faith in. So both Romans 4, written by Paul, and Galatians 3, written by Paul, in both places, Paul's made it clear by using the example of Abraham, by quoting Genesis fifteen six that righteousness before God, our justification, is not given by trying to keep the works of the law, but instead is given to those who put their faith, their trust, in the promised offspring of Abraham, in Jesus Christ. So, what should our response be to that. pretty straightforward, I, I think. To believe. To put your trust in Jesus Christ. Put your trust in his finished work. Not just once, just at that point of salvation, although that is key, it's important, but on a daily basis. Continue to put your trust in Christ. When trials and tests, the tests of time come, believe in Jesus. Turn to him. As Paul said to the Corinthians, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Continue. It's a, it's a process continuing to put our faith, our faith, things come against us. Difficult times, struggles, trials, temptations, tests, come. They, they buffet our bodies. They come against us. And we walk by faith. We continue. Lord, I need your help here. Lord, I trust you here. Lord, save me here. We're to live a life characterized by faith. Faith in the promises of God that he will care for us. And so the question comes to my mind and will be answered by James. How do we know we're living this life characterized by faith? Come to James chapter 2. You might want to turn there in in your Bible. Specifically, we're going to look at verses 21 through 24. Now to get the context... Important to understand the, the big picture. We need to go back up a little bit to verse 18. James is making an argument. And Abraham's life will become evidence in James' argument. In, verse, 15, in excuse me, verse 18 of chapter 2, he says, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Now to some, and not just here and now, not as you're hearing it, but throughout history, to some, James sounds like a, a complete opposite from Paul. He's, he's teaching something different. As we've seen, Paul's made it clear, and it is clear, that justification, our righteousness, our salvation, our right standing before God comes through faith alone, through trusting in Christ alone. Nothing we can do. There is absolutely nothing in us that can earn that. For by grace you're saved through faith, Paul says. Not by the works of the law. James, just just so we understand, James isn't talking about works of the law. He's not talking about following the Jewish law, for one thing. That's, it's, when he talks about works, he's he's more talking about what we would call good works or obedience to God. But in any case, which one is it, James or Paul? Or is there something we're missing, we're not understanding? We need to understand that James is coming at this, at this idea of faith, works, from a different angle than Paul. Paul was writing to those who were being taught that they needed, they must keep the law along with faith in order to achieve salvation and in order to achieve righteousness, that this righteousness was earned by keeping the law. He was writing to people who were being taught that salvation came through obeying the law. James, on the other hand, is writing to those who are seeking to divorce, to separate faith and good works. Those who are saying, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, I trust Jesus, Jesus is my Savior, I believe the Bible, but their life told a totally different story. It was only words from their mouth. So their approaches, Paul and James, are very different. Let me illustrate it this way. Suppose you knew two men who were in very poor health. One's health was poor because he was very overweight, and the other because he was very underweight. If you desired to help them, to help them regain their health, your advice about eating to each would be very different. But the goal would be the same. To one, you would say, you know, you might want to cut down. To one, you say, you might want to get a good diet where you can get some calories in you and get some health. In a similar way, Paul and James provide different angles and different advice for different groups of people. For those that believe they are saved by faith and the works of the law, Paul makes it clear that salvation, righteousness, comes only through faith. That You're not earning your righteousness by obeying the law. You're not earning your righteousness by doing good works. But for those that believe that good works are not important that only faith matters, James makes it clear that authentic faith is faith that works. Authentic faith is faith that works. James never confused faith and works. He understood that they were separate. James would agree that we're justified by faith alone, but not by faith that is alone. He would say that that if your faith is alone, you're deluding yourself. This is important for us to understand. This may be the key for us at Bridges Christian Fellowship in 2013. If your faith is alone, you're deluding yourself. He would urge you to real faith. And real faith is a faith that works. And he points to Abraham as an example of faith that works. Verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was acting along with works. And faith was completed by his works. And scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Genesis 15, 6 again. And he was called a friend of God. And you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. James says that there's no such thing as faith that is not demonstrated by works. It's a fallacy. You say you have faith. Well, Abraham is the father of our faith. And his faith was proven by his works. Abraham passed that ultimate test of faith. His faith was demonstrated and confirmed when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. His faith was active. There's no such thing as inactive faith, it's not real. If you have faith, it will be demonstrated by works, James says. Faith in God and his promises and the Lord Jesus Christ brings righteousness and salvation. And true faith, true faith is always demonstrated, accompanied, completed by works. So, So we need to understand this. We need to understand when we have faith in Christ, something actually happens to us. It's not just, there's not just a book up there that God says, check off, he's righteous now. And so now I look, he actually imputes righteousness to us. And he begins this process, and, and granted, this process doesn't end till death, but he get, begins this process of transforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. He begins this process of making us who he's declared us to be. He's declared us righteous, and he begins this process of making us righteous into this righteous person. And so, it's a supernatural thing that's taking place. And that supernatural thing of God working in you, in you through His Spirit, will always produce good works, will always produce the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience. They go together Scripture testifies to this clearly. Take some time to read Hebrews chapter 11. You know, Hebrews chapter 11 is called what? You know, the hall of faith. But Hebrews chapter 11 is a list of works. It's a list of what people, Old Testament people with faith, what they did. Abraham, again, great example. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith... The faith is first. The author of Hebrews understood this. He understood how these works were accomplished. They were accomplished by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. We've talked about this. We've seen this. Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 17, he says, By faith, again, when his faith was, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. His faith was confirmed, completed, however you want to put it by his works. Faith is never alone. And A- Abraham is is our example of this as well. We like Abraham must put our faith in the Lord. We must trust in his promises, specifically his promise to save us. His promise to give us this righteousness through Jesus Christ. We have to put our faith in Jesus Christ alone to save us from our sin and to declare us, to count us righteous before God. But once we've done that, brothers and sisters, if I can call you that, once we've done that, our journey of faith begins. It's a... Anybody seen The Wizard of Oz or this new movie uh the Great and Wonderful Oz of Oz's It's like that in the movie I, I like the Wizard better than the new one, but anyway, you know it's all black and white and dark and you know and then you go to Oz and it's all color and beautiful you know there's this transition and and when you put your faith in Christ there's this transition but the 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 journey down the yellow brick road or the journey to to become like Jesus Christ is only beginning. And we have to continue, continue on a daily basis to step out in faith. And that looks like something. That's revealed, that's seen. If we've truly put our faith, our trust in Christ, if we've said, Jesus, I trust you, I give you my life, you're my Lord and Savior, then our lives will be characterized by obedience to Him. Now, that's not to say that you will always be perfectly obedient. What did I say? Your life will be characterized by obedience to him. And when you're not obedient to him, your life will be characterized by repentance and falling on your face and asking for his forgiveness. Our lives will look different from those in the world. Because we have a different master. We have someone that is... That is imputed, has given us righteousness, and He's working that out in our hearts. We have a Master who commands us. He commands us, and He gives us the power to, through His Spirit, to love God with all we have. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. He commands us, and He gives us the power to love our neighbors as ourselves, He even commands us, get this, and gives us the power to love our enemies. That's amazing. He commands us and he gives us the power to give sacrificially, to consider others better than ourselves, to be his ambassadors, his representatives in this world, to share his love with those who don't know him to study His Word and and more than study it, to apply it to our lives, to share it with those around us, and so much more. God gives us. He's imputed righteousness to us. Then He gives us His Spirit. He gives us the power and the command to do so much. And this is the journey of faith that we engage in, that we step into when we receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ as our own a free gift. It was paid for. It was very costly to Christ, but it's a free gift for us. But then it it catapults us on this journey of faith. When we believe, when we have faith in the Lord, it's counted to us as righteousness. And that righteousness given to us by God will, underline will, will flow out of our lives and be seen in our good works. So if we say we have faith, if we say we believe, if we say we trust in Christ, then our faith cannot, our faith that cannot be seen, I can't see faith, it's, it's, a, it's a quality. I cannot see faith, but our faith that cannot be seen will be seen in our works of righteousness, our works of God working righteousness in us and through us. And if there are no works, and this is the warning if there are no works of righteousness, then there's no faith. And again, that doesn't mean that you always do the right thing. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a journey. You know, you will fail. You will one time choose not to do that good work and you will repent and you'll get back on and the next time you'll choose to do the, the good work through the power of the Spirit working in you. Because you're growing to be the person that God has already made you, that righteous person before Him. So today as we close, I would encourage you, I encourage myself, to ask this question. Does your faith in Jesus Christ, and this is for those that, if 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 you don't claim to have any faith in Jesus, then I would encourage you to run to Him, to give yourself to Him. But for those of us that claim to have faith in Jesus Christ, the question is, does your faith, Produce works. Or does the righteousness that God has imputed to you, given to you, is that working out in you? And are there good works? Are they seen? Are you giving sacrificially to others? Are you you loving as God called you to be? Are you his ambassador to this world? Are you representing Jesus Christ? Is your faith real enough that it has changed your life? Is your life been changed and being changed? We talked about God's word this morning and how you read it once and oh, I uh, thank you Lord, I need to work on that and then you read the same passage again and there's new things because God is always working in and through us to change our life. Is your life being changed? Not by you, but by the power of God's spirit, the righteousness that he's given you and the spirit he's given you working in and through you. This is the kind of faith that Abraham had. Faith that resulted in works of obedience, works of righteousness, good works, works of love and care for others. And this is the kind of faith that God calls us to have. Faith that would be counted as righteousness. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, thank you so much that it's all about you. That you love us and care for us and have chosen us given us so much you've given us righteousness we have no uh no way of gaining our own, uh, on our own father but you gave it to us you made us righteous and lord that you didn't even you didn't just leave us there lord that you now call us to work that righteousness out you give us your spirit and you give us the power and you work in and through us, Father. I pray for myself, I pray for each person here, that we would examine our hearts, that we would look to you and say, Lord, do I really trust in you? Do I really, have I really given my life to you? And if I have, Father, what are the, the works that are flowing from that? Lord, work in us. Give us true faith in, you, in Christ's name.